0: Hey, uh, as as we launch today, I I would love to uh, introduce you into this series we're going to spend most of January in. It's called Rhythms. And today to launch into this series called Rhythms, we're going to read from the book of Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn them on and open up or open up your actual physical Bible to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, here's a New Year's resolution I'd love us all to kind of think through. If this is your first time in church today, what I'm about to say to you just lock it away. It's not for you. If this, if this is where you call home, here's my challenge. We should bring our Bibles to church every week, like every week, because here's the reason. I could hop up here, and I could put scriptures on the screen and say, I've said this before, but, you know, give me a gratuitous laugh either way. Um, I could say, hey, in the book of Hezekiah chapter 10, it actually says that every month you should give your lead minister three cars. Amen. Now, part of the reason why we bring our Bibles is because we believe reading the Word of God isn't a solo activity, it's a communal activity where we can hold each other accountable for what we're actually reading, what it actually says. Now, number one, there's no book of Hezekiah. Number two, nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to give your lead pastor three cards. So if you ever hear that from the platform, you just leave that church straight away. But having said that, let's open to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And we read, it's not going to be on the screen, so if you don't have your Bible, let's just, just let these words wash over you. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. Everyone say distracted. Cool, there was three people. Let's try a bit more. Distracted. Love it. We're getting Pentecostal here this afternoon. Um, and it says, distracted with what? With much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, as we come before your word this afternoon, we recognize as we do every week, that if all we hear is a ramblings of a man on a platform, then God, that is not enough. We must hear from you this afternoon. So Lord, reveal the truth of your scripture to us. Any obstacle, any offense, any worry, concern, or shame or guilt we're carried in here that may prevent us from hearing what you want to say, may it decrease. And Holy Spirit, as we still our hearts, we recognize we need more of you right now. So we pray the prayer, we always pray, more of you, God, less of me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. January marks for me the ninth year of being a pastor at New Life. This is my ninth year of being a pastor at New Life. I've been doing this for nine years. I started off as a youth pastor, children's pastor, and became young adults pastor, I've kind of become everything kind of pastor throughout my journey over the last nine years at New Life. And when I first became a pastor, I used to dread one question. And the question was this, what do you do for a job? Because I go to these parties with, at, you know, secular college, secular colleges, no, secular gatherings or outside of New Life, and, and, I, and people, I'd ask them what they did for a job. They'd do a lawyer, a doctor, something interesting, like, you know, I'm, I'm a safari expert or whatever. And then someone would turn to me, why would you have a safari expert in Australia? I don't know, it just came to my head. And then someone would turn to me and say, and hey Michael, what do you do for a job? And part of me would like die in the side as like my young 23-year-old self. I'd kind of be like, I'm a pastor. They'd be like, what? I'm like, nothing. Let's ask Jim what he does for a job. And the reason was because of one of two things. The first of all, as a young man, I wasn't confident in representing the gospel. And I thought if I get asked, I'm a pastor, they're gonna ask me what the gospel is. And here's what I've known, friends. When someone asks me what I do for a job and I say pastor, they never ever follow up with, could you explain the gospel to me? Ever. Usually they're like, Oh, what about you, Jim? Like, that's usually how the conversation goes. But the second question, if it goes differently, panics me even more because they say, oh, what do you do for a job? And say, I'm a pastor. And then they go, oh, that's nice. So what do you do Monday to Friday? And I'd be like, what do you mean? What do I do Monday to Friday? Like, well, it's just a Sunday job, right? Like, what do you spend the rest of your week doing? And I'd be like, oh my goodness, this is full time. What do I spend the rest of my week doing? And then here's the worst part. Some of you have asked me that question. They're like, so Michael, what do you actually do during the week? And I'm like, what do you mean what do I do during the week? And here's what's interesting as well. You never ask an architect what they do during the week. Like, oh, you're an architect. So what do you kind of do Monday to Friday, right? It's like, do you just draw nice pictures throughout the week, right? You wouldn't ask that because there's this assumption that they're doing something important. But pastors, there's a level of mystery to us. As a young man, there was a rising insecurity in me, if I can just be honest, that people didn't think I did anything with my life. So what I did is I was like, I'm gonna to prove to them that I do stuff. So I filled my calendar. I was like, I'm going to work so hard. My first year of marriage, I was young. It's like, let's go, let's get this done. I filled my calendar, I became busy, and I tried the best I could to do everything I could to appear like I was doing something. I wanted to be the person when I walked into the room that everyone's like, dude, he's got a massive capacity and a never-ending to-do list. Wow, he is so cool. That's what I thought would happen. And I remember when it shifted from, so what do you do during the week? So as I was walking out of church, I was hanging out with people, they started to speak differently to me. It was like this moment where they said, not what do you do, but hey, Michael, I know you're busy, but, and I loved it. I was like, that's right, I am busy. I do stuff during the week. And I wore busy like a badge of honor next to the word pastor. But over the last couple of years, what, what I've kind of come to understand is when someone says, I know you're busy, but what they're really asking is, hey, do you have time to love me? Do you have time to be loved by me? And the word busy for me has become more of a stain a compliment. See, we live in a world, friends, it might just not just be me, where when you ask someone how they are, I guarantee you the most common descriptor people offer back is, oh, I'm good, but (laughs) I'm busy, oh, you know, I'm really busy right now, but, in fact, I guarantee most of us in 2020 used the word busy to describe our lives, except for three months when the whole world shut down, then we're like, how do I tell people how I am? I have no other words but busy. And what God has challenged me with is that He never asked us to be busy. That's actually not a descriptor that he, that he wanted attached to the people of God. I remember reading a book where the first line in the book said this, Would you want someone you loved to live the life you're currently living? Would you want someone you love to live the life you're currently living? And it shook me. Because I was an exhausted, worn-out, tired pastor, and everything in me shouted, no. The next line in the book said it beautifully. Then why are you living it? Why are you inflicting on yourself what you wouldn't want on anybody else? And And it wrestled with me. See, the reason why this is important, why I bring this up, is because at New Life, we have this catch cry, which is all about our heart. What makes us beat and tick is this sense of we're passionate to see more people more like Jesus. But the longer I do this, the longer I follow Jesus, what I've found is being busy and becoming like Jesus are incompatible. Being busy and becoming like Jesus are incompatible. In fact, the busiest moments of my life are when I become the least like Christ. Now, I know some of you are here today for the first time in the middle of Brisbane CBD, and you're like, oh, why would anyone want to become like Jesus? Here at New Life, we believe, we believe Jesus was more than just a man, that he was the son of God. God himself made flesh, and that in him we find a perfect example to emulate, follow, but also to communion with every single day. And I want to challenge us that this year, 2021, the most important question that we can ask is not how do I become fitter, lose more weight, become richer, get a promotion, become more present with my family, the most important question we can ask, not just as part of new life, but as disciples of Christ is this. What would it look like in 2021 for you, for me, for us to become more like Jesus? I firmly believe this is the most important question which should guide our years. What would it look like if this was the year where the central and first and foremost question we sought to answer is, what would it mean, God, for me to become more like Jesus this year? And everything else to flow from that. I think this, for me, is a pivotal understanding and question for us as a church. But unfortunately, the reality is, for me at least, is that I've found that this idea of busy is antithetical to achieving or answering this question. This guy named John Ortberg, a man I respect deeply, and he was quite formative as a pastor. He, over in the States, used to listen to his podcast when I was young. And John Ortberg, when he moved to Chicago, he had a new job in a big church, and he rang his spiritual mentor, Dallas Willard, and asked him a question. And he said, Dallas... I'm dropping kids off at soccer on the weekend. I'm at church all day Sunday. I work hard through the week and life is full. But I want to know, what does it mean for me to be spiritually healthy? And Dallas Willard paused. There was silence on the other end of the phone. And then Dallas Willard said, it's simple. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Altberg wrote that down. He goes, fantastic. Got it. What's next? There was a long pause. Dallas Willard, who has had an effect on me, and I know many of us in this room, said, there is nothing else. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The book where this is found is written by a guy named John Mark Comer, and he says, I've concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on following this prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry destroys our souls. Hurry destroys our souls. So whether you're a believer or yet to know Jesus today, let me ask you this question. How is your soul? How is your soul heading into 2021? This story, in fact, this this book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, And I want to encourage you this year that if you could pick up any book and read with us, I'd love you to spend January reading this book. I read it at the start of 2020. It had a profound impact on my life as I learnt the danger that hurry has to the human heart. I've given this book to some friends and said, hey, you should read this. One person came back and said, I can't read the book anymore. And I said, oh, why? And he simply said to me, it's too challenging. I don't know if I want to get rid of hurry, so I'm not going to continue reading the book. And it was profound to me to recognize that we have a problem in the West. So many of us addicted to hurry, to busy. As a Uh, There's a moment that happened about 50 years ago. Two cardiologists, um, they, they discovered that their waiting room, the seats in their waiting room were beginning to wear and tear, but only in a certain part of their seats. In fact, the seats were wearing down on the very front edge of the seat and the armrests. So people were wearing down the seat by literally sitting only on the very edge of the seat. When they asked patients what was going on, they found in most patients seeking, cardiovascular um, doctors are all about the heart. So most patients who were coming to uh, find out about what was going on with their heart, they found had a chronic sense of urgency around how they were spending their time. And in fact, these doctors diagnosed a new disease. They called it the, the disease of hurry sickness, and they said that this disease, it arises from an insatiable desire to accomplish too much or take part in too many events in the amount of time available. Someone with hurry sickness, as a consequence, never ceases to try to stuff more and more events in, his constantly, in their constantly shrieking reserves of time. And friends, I don't know about you, but I know what hurry sickness feels like. And it's not nice, but sometimes we feel like it's the only way to live. John Mark Comer in his book highlights the idea that when you look at the life of Christ, Jesus was never hurried. He could have ridden everywhere he went, and yet he chose to walk. And then when he did ride, he chose a donkey, literally the slowest steed he could have chosen. There are moments in Jesus' life where it seemed like he was intentionally slowing down. Rarely, if ever, do you see Jesus walk off the Sermon on the Mount, having preached an extensive period of time, and the leper comes up to him and says, Jesus, heal me. And Jesus is like, I've got two minutes, and then we're done. Like, let's get this thing over. Very rarely do we read the Scriptures and get a sense of hurry from the life of Christ. But his calendar seemed to always be full. See, I don't think hurry is an issue of having a full calendar, but I think it's an issue of a heart that is out of step with God. Friends, do you know the pain of Harry's sickness? Now, some of you are like, well, I mean, Jesus didn't have five kids like I have, or he he wasn't doing my workload. I mean, you're right, he wasn't. Instead, he had three years to develop and form 12 guys, one of which would betray him, and the rest would go on to lead the greatest revolution known to man in the last 2,000 years. He had three years to prepare his followers that he would one day die on a cross for their sins and the world's sins for all of time, It might be fair to say that Jesus had a lot on his plate, and yet he didn't speed walk. Why? Because there was an inner pace, I think, that we see in the life of Christ that he calls us to live. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to knock on the door of Jesus, you don't see Jesus be like, dude, I've got an appointment with Peter early in the morning. Can we make this quick? He sits down with Nicodemus late at night and, and hashes out theological truth and we have John three sixteen, this beautiful scripture that spawns out of this moment. We see Jesus be interruptible by crowds as he has compassion on them. Not because he didn't have places to be, but he was joyfully interruptible as he lived a life, not at the pace of man, but at the pace of God. What would it look like this year? What would it look like if we were to live a life like Christ? Walter Adams, the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, says it like this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. This is important truth for us to recognize. You see, friends, to live a life like Jesus, we're called to walk the way Jesus walked. To live the life that Jesus lived, we have to learn to walk the way Jesus walked. His rhythm His pace. And in doing so, friends, we might just become who God has called us to be. What would it look like for you in 2021 to become more like Jesus this year? There is no more important question that we can answer, the core of our beings, than this. And see, this is the tension that we come across in Luke chapter 10. Jesus has encountered two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha. And we read in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, this passage. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, as we step into this story, I want you to note a couple things. Martha invited Jesus into her home. See, Jesus had a full enough calendar that people were starting to know who he was. His reputation was heading out in front of him. That when he walked into this village, Martha immediately goes, this is a guy I want to know and be in my house. And she would go on to develop a friendship with Jesus along with her family, and they would have many encounters with him. But here we're introduced into one of their first moments with Christ. Martha invites Jesus into her home. Now, this is important as we kind of unpack her motivations as the story goes on. We read on because it wasn't just Martha who was involved. As Martha invites Jesus into her home, it would be fair to assume that Jesus, all 12 disciples, and the litany of followers all packed into Martha's small living room where a cultural revolution was about to happen. Let's read this moment together. We read on that it says that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Why does the Bible tell us how Mary was positioned? Why do we need to know that there was a sister sitting at the feet of Christ? Why is that so vital? Now, this is important because for you and I, if we invite someone over our house and we choose to sit at their feet, they would be rightly weirded out by that. They're like, there's many fine seats in this house. Can you get away from my smelly feet? That'd be weird. But ancient Jewish culture, this was a sign not of where someone wanted to sit, but a relationship that someone longed to have. See, in Jewish culture, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was to indicate that you had become or were hoping to become that rabbi's disciple. Now, why is this a cultural revolutionary moment? Because very rarely were women found to be becoming or longing to become disciples of significant or prominent rabbi. This this is important for us to understand because here we don't only see Mary's heart, but we also see the heart of Christ. That just for a sidebar for a second, that in Jesus, in Jewish culture, we find a rabbi who doesn't just welcome children, doesn't just call minorities to be included into his family, but he also elevates the position of women to a place of influence in a culture where they didn't have power the same as men. What a beautiful look into the heart of Christ that all of us today have the same opportunity to be his disciple. But why was Mary wanting to be his disciple? Why was Mary longing to sit at his feet? I, I, I would beg to offer it's because she had a hunger that the rabbi that she had heard about, this man named Jesus, whose reputation went before her, she longed not just to have him in her home, but that she might become like Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is when you find someone who you want to emulate, imitate, and follow and become like them. That's why it's so important that we're not just Christians, but we're disciples of Christ. We're longing to become like the one we claim to follow. But here's what I love about Mary's desire to sit at his feet. She didn't know everything that we know now about Jesus, but still she seemed to have more of a hunger to sit at his feet than I do every day, even knowing all that I know about what Jesus has done. That's why I said this year, what the world needs is not a fitter you. What the world needs this year is not a richer you, a you that's accomplishing every single goal. I believe what the world needs more than anything in 2021 is Jesus and a people who look like the one they claim to follow. This, what was happening with Mary in this moment where she longed to be like Christ, and the whole story juxtaposes Martha and Mary. You see, when Martha saw an obligation, Mary saw an opportunity. You see, when Martha saw an expectation, Mary saw a moment of transformation. Where Martha saw a cultural boundary, an obstacle, Mary saw a cultural shift. And the story asks us to place ourselves in either one of these two women's shoes. Which one do we relate most to? Martha or Mary? Where was Martha as Mary was hungering to be like Jesus? Where was Martha as Mary was hungering to be like this one called Christ? We read on where it says in the Bible that Martha, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In three words, the book of Luke, I think, gives us an insight into the greatest spiritual warfare problem of our day. Martha was distracted. Isn't it good to know that distraction isn't just something in the 2021 year of our Lord? There's a sense that this has been a problem in the spiritual health of people for ages, And the reason why I say this, friends, is I actually believe that what was happening with Martha in this moment, where she invited Jesus into her home. Martha was the initiator of the hangout with Christ, yet she missed out on an opportunity because I think the chief thing that hurry does is distracts us from who Christ has called us to be. I've talked about this before at New Life Brisbane, that there is a, a growing phenomenon in the world called the attention economy that tech giants and and, and Netflix and Facebook and Instagram are, are proliferating and profiteering of our attention. That the longer that technology can hold our attention, they're selling our attention spans to the highest bidder. And what we fail to recognize in a culture where distraction is rife is that one of the most critical things that is working against our spiritual health is the idea that we are a distracted people. Apparently, humans have an attention span of seven seconds on average. Goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds on average. We're losing to goldfish. Goldfish seem to be closer to Jesus than we probably are because their attention span is two seconds longer. Now, not really. And once again, some of you are like, I have an attention span. like That's why I said average, definitely average. I think a lot of teenagers pull that down for us all. But we don't question or debate or look at enough the place that distraction has in our spiritual health and life. John Mark Comer says this For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. See, Mary's priority was to hang hang out with Christ. Martha's priority was to be distracted from the very thing that she had initiated. Friend, the critical thing that's going to stop us becoming like Christ this year is if we don't identify, eliminate, and name those things which are distracting us from who Christ has called us to be. What is distracting you from sitting at the feet of Jesus? A girl named Mary Oliver says it like this that attention is the beginning of devotion. It is what we are giving our attention to that we are most devoted towards. And, friends, what I've learned is that what I give my attention to is more often what I end up becoming. What has our attention? Where are we spending our time focused upon? Now, I know some of you might think, well, Michael, what you're really saying here is we need to eliminate our calendar to just spend every second of our day in the Bible with God. That's not what I'm saying at all. See, the blessing of Christianity, of the Christian faith, is that we believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and that the power of the Holy Spirit is God in us. The idea isn't just 15 minutes a day when we spend with Jesus, but that He is always with us and vying for our attention in a distracted world. Recently, during the COVID lockdown, I was trying to spend time with God, and Archer just wouldn't leave me alone. Archer's my 15-month-old son. He was like playing around, wanting my attention, and I'm like, leave me alone. I'm trying to be holy, and you're making me unholy, you're distracting me. You're the problem, right? And he wouldn't do it, so I kind of fed up. I gave up on reading the Bible and frustratedly went and sat with my son. And as I did that, in my frustration, I sensed the Holy Spirit kind of whispered to me, I'm here as well. I am with you and your son in this moment, just like I was with you when you were reading your word. You can still give me your attention whilst you hang out with your child. And over the COVID lockdown, I found that there were sweeter moments that I spent with God whilst I played with my son as I shifted him from a distraction to something that Jesus and I did together. Friends, so many of us drive to work. We train to work. There are moments in our day where we are marked more by hurry and speaking this and breaking the speed limit than recognizing that Jesus is with us, longing and begging to hear from us and speak to us in that moment. So many of us are like Martha, distracted when Christ is longing for us to sit at his feet. And Martha comes back into the story and she accuses Christ. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha does what so many of us do. We blame God when we think we're doing the right thing, when actually what's happening in us is we're just covering up the insecurities of our heart. See, so many of us fail to recognize, what Martha fails to recognize is the reason why she was in the kitchen was because she was overwhelmed with anxieties and worries that she just distracted herself from from addressing by just spending time looking like she's doing the right thing. And friends, how many times do we busy ourselves doing what we think looks right, where we dress up, care and concern for someone else when really our anxiety and insecurity is hoping that they care or are concerned or have the right opinion about us. When we're hoping that we're seen to be doing the right thing so people think that we're servants when really we're just motivated by what people think about us. And Christ says you're motivated by all the wrong things when one thing is important. What motivations are we covering up by looking like we're doing the right thing when Christ is calling us to do the one thing, sit at his feet and dwell in his presence? For so many of us, our engagement with God is dictated by our calendar. And I wonder what would shift if our calendar actually was dictated to by our engagement with God. What would it look like for us to pause and stop and say, Jesus, you run my day. What am I missing? What rhythms have I fallen out of step with you? Show me the insecurities and anxieties of my heart. Because this is what Jesus does with Martha. He addresses it to her. He says in the next part of the story, he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. You are worried about many things, Christ says. How many of us feel worry grip our heart on a daily basis? Anxiety grip our heart on a daily basis. And what I've learned is we allow hurry to distract us from the things that God is longing to address. And the one thing that Christ calls to is says, Come, bring your worries, your anxiety, your hurry sick souls to me. Sit at my feet. That I might show you who you are called to become, friends. I believe that in 2021, that the rhythms that we partake in, when they are centered on Christ, when they're defined by our relationship with Jesus, they are a form of spiritual warfare that pushes back the darkness in our world. Not because we're spending five hours of of time a day praying but because we live a rhythm that is centered around becoming who Christ has called us to be because we actively choose to sit at his feet. The question I would ask you today is this. When was the last time you sat at the feet of Jesus? What is distracting you from sitting at the feet of Jesus? This isn't just an issue for Mary and Martha, but Jesus addresses it all throughout the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, he addresses a hurry sick church. He says to the church in Ephesus through the, prophet, through the apostle John, I know your deeds, he writes, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. What he's saying is, you're doing everything right. Look how amazing you are. You're killing it that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Your calendar is full, but your heart is sick with hurry. For Jesus goes on and says this, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Repent and turn and do the things you did at first. Christ calls the Ephesian church not to do more for him, but to learn to walk more with him. Friends, here at United Brisbane, we can feed the poor. We can do all these amazing things, attend small group, rock up a church, be on a roster. But we miss the point if we fail to recognize God doesn't want people serving Him. He longs for people to walk with Him every single day. And some of us are like, Michael, I don't know if I can sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if this is something I'm called to do or can do. And and there are reasons for that. Because some of us are genuinely worried what we will discover if we slow down enough to allow Jesus to have an opinion on our heart. Many of us in this room are Christians who have been running so hard and so fast for so long that we don't even know what the voice of God sounds like anymore. We're afraid to stop and find out we've forgotten altogether. And there are some of you in this room who aren't yet to believe in Jesus, but part of the reason why spending time with God would horrify you is because there is so much in your life that you know God would not agree with, and you're worried that that it will be painful and hard and filled with judgment and conviction. And to all those people and everyone in between, this is how Jesus preaches the gospel to a hurry-sick world laden with the burden of sin and busyness. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this to you today. Come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened with calendars and schedule and sin and shame and guilt. Come to me and I will give you more to do and make you more tired. I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am, getting je- I am gentle and humble in heart and you will f- find rest for your souls. For my yoke, friends, is easy and my burden is light. I don't know how well you know Jesus, but who else in this world promises you, come to me and I will not heap more on your shoulders. I will carry the weight for you. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse like this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out by religion? Some of you who are here today in church, you're like, I just don't know if I can do church. Like I'm just tired of religious expectation. Jesus says this to us. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or, or, or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, late last year I, was, I accepted the job of lead minister of New Life a family of churches that we're a part of. And if I can confess, these have been the busiest four months of my existence. And what I've sensed God remind me of is, Michael, I actually am not calling you to run at this pace. I don't want you to lead a church or a family of churches that are so busy that I get squeezed out of their services. And I know something that is convicting me or my heart's head into 2021 is that if my calendar is full, then Jesus and I have some work to do to create space, not just for him and I, but for me and others. That I might sit at the feet of Jesus every moment of my day. And what I'm calling out to you today is I wonder if you would live that rhythm with me, is that we might be found at the feet of Jesus together in 2021. That we would not be a church a people marked by hurry, but by peace. Because that is a testimony to the gospel that our world, our hurry-sick world, so needs to hear. What is distracting you from sitting at the feet of Jesus? How is Christ calling you to eliminate things that might be distracting you from Him in 2021? That we might finish this year more like Him than when we started. Would you pray with me? So Lord God, we come before you now. And I ask Jesus that in our hurry sick lives that we would pause and remain and relax. We hear you calling the gospel towards us. Jesus, come to me, you heavy laden and and tired and weary. I will give you rest. Some of you here this afternoon, uh, one of our, our leaders sensed that some people have lost the joy of their salvation. Hari does that. If that's you, God wants to return it to you today. Another one of our leaders just sensed that God was saying to someone this afternoon that you're worried that 2021 is going to be harder than 2020 and you don't know how you're going to make it through. And just the word that came to our leader was, was Isaiah 40. Come, put your hope in the Lord. Those who place their hope in the Lord will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not grow faint. They will rise on wings like eagles. And as we close this afternoon, I just sense that there might be even some people here who you've carried sin and shame and guilt into this place and you're wondering, could it be true that God would take this burden and wait from me? And I've got to tell you right now that there is forgiveness and freedom and grace for every single person that calls themselves, that finds themselves in this room. That if you do not know what forgiveness looks like, that Jesus is calling your name and saying, I wanna wash you clean, forgive you, and give you brand new life and an easy yoke to carry in 2021. So I just wanna ask, if you're here and you're hearing Jesus say, come to me with your sin and your shame and your guilt, and I will teach you to walk freely as my son and my daughter. And if you're here and you hear that voice of Christ, you're saying, that's me and I want to respond this afternoon and follow Jesus. If you want to respond to Christ this afternoon in that way, I would ask wherever you are, would you just raise your hand across this room right now? If you're saying, I want to live a life free from the sin and shame, from from the shame and guilt of sin, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord God, I pray for any and all people who are responding in this moment, that, Father, that we would be reminded that you offer us all forgiveness and grace, that your love is for us, that you are with us, and that in this moment, for all those who have responded, said, I want to be free of the weight of my sin, we can pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the sin and shame in my heart. Take away the weight of my guilt. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to walk with you. Teach me to know you as my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I pray for all of us here this afternoon who maybe we look at 2021 and already we are heavy burdened with the weight of the year in front of us. Lord, free us, free us by accepting your yoke, by sitting at your feet. May we learn to walk in the rhythm of Jesus, that our calendars wouldn't squeeze you out, but be centered around the living presence of the Lord our God. Teach us what it means this year to become more like you, Jesus Christ. And over the next couple of weeks, as we learn about what it means to have a rhythm of God, May we be challenged and convicted to walk in the rhythms that you did, Jesus. To live the life that you won for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.